Hi, hello, and howdy, everyone, and welcome to Rotten to the Core, the podcast where I dig up some dirt on some unsavory and rotten people who have helped shape our past. I am your host, Josh Waters, and today's episode features a man who is often overshadowed by another dictator, but who definitely qualifies as extremely rotten. I am speaking of none other than Benito Mussolini, the fascist dictator who ruled over Italy around World War II. Well, we all know about Hitler and the crimes against humanity that he committed. But what about the dictator whom Hitler idolized and inspired him to break democracy? Today's subject was more unknown to me. Besides his name and a few references of him by Sofia Petrillo in my favorite show, I honestly didn't know squat about this horrible man. He was Europe's first fascist dictator and the Prime Minister of Italy from 1925 to 1945. Starting off the bat, what is fascism? It is a form of far-right authoritarian ultranationalism characterized by dictatorial power, forcible suppression of opposition, a strong regimenation of society, and the economy. I believe we have some people still drinking from that same Kool-Aid pitcher to this day. Mussolini would go from humble beginnings and into, in his words, the most terrifying animal to have ever existed. Only being second to his German friend mentioned before, and a few others, such as Genghis Khan. Well, his early life, he was born into a family who had fallen on hard times in Predapio, Italy, on July 29, 1883. His grandfather had to sell their family lands, and the family was really struggling. And like so many in the area, he was raised in a family of radical socialists. His father was a blacksmith, but he preferred getting drunk and, let's say, beaver hunting, wink wink, than actually working, leaving little money for the family to sustain. As a child, he grew a resentment towards those who had more than him. He didn't understand how they could have so much, while he, who was more intelligent, better, and more worthy, his opinion, had way less. As a child, Mussolini was a bully to other kids. He always felt that there was some injustice towards his family. He liked to display his clear superiority towards other children. Even when playing games with others, he was a sore loser and would even fight dirty to win and settle arguments. He even went as far as pulling a knife on another kid and stabbing him, basically, resulting in his expulsion from his Catholic school. The priest even told his parents that he was out of their control. It was clear that Benito had a high level of charisma and charm even from a young age, with those closest to him, like his siblings and mother, constantly fawning over him. He liked poetry, music, and reading, and had grand dreams for his future. He often recited speeches, his posture, and even hand movements in the mirror foreshadowing his ability to brainwash a crowd with speeches later in life. By the age of 18, the future dictator had grown into a decent-looking young man. Like the rest of his family, he was a socialist, and apparently women flocked to him like a moth to a flame. Ladies just love a bad boy, don't you? Same girl, same. Not him, but same. 
His go-to style of coitus was forced, aggressive, and rape-like. All women, young, old, and in between, were just sexual conquests for him and his tiny dictator. During his lifetime, Mussolini would violently prey on hundreds of women, often beating and raping them, and even boasting about it later in life and showing no remorse or guilt. Speaking of them like he was telling a hunting story, with pride and gratification. I'm just going to throw my opinion in here real quick. Most of the women he had raped would willingly agree beforehand to fornicate with him, unaware of the level of violence and etc. that would occur. I don't care if a man has bought you dinner. I don't care if you have said yes and changed your mind. And I don't care if you said just the tip and it's already there and you still change your mind and say no. It is rape if you are then forced into that sexual act for it is now against your will. The levels of aggravated sexual assault he would force upon women would be unknown to them beforehand. That would be until word spread. And he soon received the nickname the Madman of Predapio, and the Madman of Romana. In 1903, he avoided Italy's national service, which was the forced service of all males starting at 18 to join the military. He would flee to Switzerland, where his violent behavior and inciting follow him. Later, being arrested there for initiating a violent revolution, he would often go to functions with the sole purpose of starting a conflict with the people there. I think we all have some people like that in our own families, am I right? Not long after getting into this new trouble, he would go through the most significant loss of his life when his mother dies of cardiac arrest and sends the young dictator into a spiral of unrest, grief, and violence. His father would remarry, leaving Benito with a 16-year-old stepsister whom he later threatens to kill himself over when his father refuses their union. Being one to get his way often, the young Mussolini stays with her for just a short time until, unfulfilled sexually, he starts to look elsewhere for his pleasures. After abandoning his stepsister, she should count her blessings, he soon married another woman and the pair ended up having a son together. But his new little family ended up only boring him and he soon left them for other adventures. Here's where we start to see his rise to power. After all of his hard work to avoid serving in Italy's national service, he would be forced to as punishment for his crimes while in Switzerland. He was serving two years in exchange for a pardon. Once he was out of the service, things started to pick up speed for the young Benito, and he soon started working at a socialist-run paper as a writer. Utilizing his new platform, he quickly rose to become one of Italy's most prominent socialists. Within just a few years, Benito was granted the title of editor for the Socialist Party's newspaper, Avanti, which grew tremendously in size and production under his rule. This is when Benito would start to stray away from socialism and into his new ideology. Rejecting one of the core principles of socialism, bear with me with this, egalitarianism, which is the belief that all people are equal and deserve equal rights, favoring Nietzsche's Ubermensch concept instead. From what I could decipher, in this worldview, the Ubermensch is the person who can break away from the illusion. They recognize that society's definition of morality is biased and socially constructed. 
So does this mean that they are amoral or have no moral code? Absolutely not. Rather than accept the morality dictated by institutions like the church, they create their own morality based on their own experiences grounded in this physical world, as opposed to some non-earthly afterlife. This superpower, the ability to see past the illusion, creates a and makes a person kind of like a superior being. These beliefs fueled his disdain for the Slavic people, and he soon turned his sights on them, viewing them as inferior and barbaric. These changes in beliefs would have repercussions, though, and in 1914, Mussolini was kicked out of Italy's Socialist Party, and the future dictator would start masterminding his own party, shifting his belief away from class warfare and into revolutionary nationalism. He utilized the works of Nietzsche, Pardento, and Sorel. Benito would also add Plato's The Republic as the building bricks for his new fascist party. Now, Plato's strategy in The Republic is first to clarify the primary notion of societal or political justice, and then to derive a similar concept of individual justice. In the books, Plato identifies political justice as harmony in a structured political body. An ideal society consists of three main classes of people, producers such as craftsmen and farmers, auxiliaries like warriors, and guardians who are rulers. A society is just when relations between these three classes are right. Each group must perform its appropriate function, and only that function in each must be in the right position of power concerning the others. Ruler must rule, Auxiliaries must uphold rulers, convictions, and producers must limit themselves to exercising whatever skills nature granted them, like farming, blacksmithing, painting, etc. Justice is a principle of specialization, a principle that requires that each person fulfill the societal role to which nature fitted him and not interfere in any other's business. Just to give you an idea of where he came up with the fascist ideology, in 1919, Benito announced that he had come up with a new foreign policy called, bear with me, Spazio Vital, Vital Space, which gave Italy the power to conquer neighboring Slavic regions due to them being, and I quote, less developed humans. At the time, Italy was viewed as overpopulated, and his new policy was seen as justifiable. On October 22, 1922, around 30,000 people in black shirts marched on Rome demanding the formation of a new fascist government it only took six days before the sitting king of Italy, King Victor Emmanuel III, gave full power to Benito to form a new government, and he was appointed prime minister. His first significant move as prime minister was to establish a utterly totalitarian state with himself as supreme leader, making anyone who opposed him mysteriously disappear. I'm guessing with a new pair of cement shoes. Now, totalitarianism is a form of government that theoretically permits no individual freedom and seeks to subordinate all aspects of personal life to the state's authority. Mussolini coined the term totalitario to characterize the new fascist state of Italy, which he further described as all within the state, none outside the state, none against the state. Many Italians, especially among the middle class, welcomed his authority. 
They were tired of strikes and riots and ready to submit to dictatorship. The national economy was stabilized and their country was restored to its dignity. Mussolini seemed to them the one man capable of bringing order out of the chaos. Soon a kind of order had been fixed, or so they thought. On December 24, 1925, a law would be passed that would change Benito's formal title to head of government and change the government into a de facto legal dictatorship, which is a country or region that has assumed authority regardless of whether by lawful, constitutional, or legitimate means. Very frequently, the term is reserved for those whose power is thought by some faction to be held unlawful, unconstitutional, or illegitimate, and also left him open to several failed assassination attempts. Well, in Libya, which was under Italian colonization at the time, it was gutted by his fascist regime and created a policy that would strip natives of their lands to be given to Italian colonists. He also started a genocide to kill as many Libyans as possible, placing over half the population into concentration camps by 1931. Mussolini was hailed as a genius by leaders worldwide. His achievements were considered no less than miraculous. He had transformed and reinvigorated his divided country. He had carried out his social reforms and public works without losing the support of landowners. He had even succeeded in coming to terms with the Pope. The reality, however, was far less rosy than the propaganda made it appear. Social divisions remained enormous and little was done to address the deep-rooted structural problems of the Italian state and economy. Mussolini dreamed of an empire, though. He wanted to conquer, like the Romans. His eye rested first upon Ethiopia, which after ten months of preparations, rumors, threats, and hesitations, Italy invaded on October 1935. A brutal campaign of colonial conquest followed in which the Italians dropped tons of gas bombs upon the Ethiopian people. Europe expressed its horror, but having done so, did nothing else to stop it. The League of Nations imposed sanctions, but ensured that the list of prohibited exports did not include any such as oil that might provoke a European war. If the League had imposed oil sanctions, Mussolini said he would have had to have withdraw from Ethiopia within a week. But he faced no such problem, and on the night of May 9, 1936, he announced to an enormous, expectant crowd of about 400,000 people standing shoulder to shoulder around Piazza Vienesa in Rome. In the 14th year of the fascist era, an extraordinary event had been accomplished. Italy had its empire. This moment probably marked the peak of public support for him. The following year, Mussolini would meet a new ally and powerhouse in the years to come, Adolf Hitler. The two would have a respectful relationship, starting with Hitler idolizing Mussolini. It wouldn't be long, though, until the tables were turned, and it would be Mussolini with his knees bent. In 1938, following the German example, Mussolini's government passed anti-Semitic laws in Italy that discriminated against the Jewish people in all sectors of public and private life, and prepared the way for deportation of some 20% of Italy's Jewish population to German death camps during the war. 
Although by the end of the war, almost 8,600 Jewish people from Italy and Italian-controlled areas in France and Greece were deported to Auschwitz, all but 1,000 were murdered. Mussolini watched the progress of Hitler's war with bitterness and alarm, becoming more and more hostile with each German victory while frequently expressing hope that the Germans would be slowed down, only to satisfy his envy and give Italy some breathing space. However, when Germany advanced westward and France seemed on the verge of collapse, Mussolini felt he could no longer delay. So on June 10, 1940, the fateful declaration of war was made. With every victory for German troops, Mussolini realized that his fantasy was just that, and he was quickly becoming only a servant in Hitler's war. The Germans kept most of their military plans hidden, giving their allies very little information for fear that it would destroy surprise. And thus, Germans made such moves as the occupation of Romania and then the invasion of the Soviet Union without any advance notice to Mussolini. In a failed attempt to reassert some of his power, Mussolini attacked Greece without giving Germany any notice or information of the attack. It was a quick and humiliating defeat to the dictator, and Hitler even had to send some of his forces to rescue Mussolini and his troops. Some historians claim that this rescue is a significant contributor to German forces not being able to take and hold the Soviet Union. Because of it, they had to push back their attack and wait until the bitterly cold winter, something they were not prepared to fight in. Being too proud to surrender, Mussolini became more isolated and wouldn't listen to anyone's advice. Unable to accept any blame, he started using propaganda to shift it to others. First, he tried to blame the war on the Jewish people, and then his generals. And when sweet hymns in the tabernacle really hit the fan, he started to blame the war on the Italian people themselves. For, and get this, not being in control of their own dreams and objectives. This man, I swear, he either had the most enormous tea bags or a little veeny weeny. I'm just saying, the nerve, sir, the nerve. For some time, Italian fascists and non-fascists alike had been preparing Mussolini's downfall. On July 24th, at a meeting at the Fascist Grand Council, the supreme constitutional authority of the state, which had not met since the war began. An overwhelming majority passed a resolution that dismissed Mussolini from office, disregarding the vote as a matter of little concern and refusing to admit that his minions could harm him. Mussolini appeared at his office the following day as though nothing had happened. That afternoon, however, he was arrested by royal command on the steps of the Villa Sovia after an audience with the king. Imprisoned first on the island of Ponza, then on a more remote island off the coast of Sardinia, he was eventually transported to a hotel high on the Gran Sasso di Italia in the mountains of Abruzzi. It still wouldn't be enough to keep him contained, though, and on September 12, 1943, I'm for real here, this really happened, German troops crash-landed their glider planes on the slopes of a mountain and rescued Mussolini by air. Well, rather than allow the Germans to occupy and govern Italy entirely on their own interests, 
Mussolini agreed to Hitler's suggestion that he establish a new fascist government in the north and execute those members of the Grand Council, including his son-in-law, who had dared vote against him. It is at this time that Mussolini admitted himself that he was no more than a mere puppet at the mercy of the German command, and he awaited the inevitable. As German defenses in Italy collapsed and the Allies advanced rapidly northward, the Italian communist of the partisan leadership decided to execute Mussolini. Refusing to fly out of his country, he intended perhaps to make a final stand in the mountains. He tried to cross the frontier disguised as a German soldier in a convoy of trucks retreating towards Innsbruck and Austria, but he was recognized and together along with his mistress, who had insisted on remaining with him to the end, were shot and killed on April 28, 1945. The Italian people didn't want to risk him escaping again or even going through a lengthy trial. They wanted blood. After they were shot, their bodies were taken before the public as they were kicked, beaten, and spit on before being hung by their ankles in the Piazza Loreto in Milan. Huge crowds celebrated the fall of the dictator and the end of the war. Mussolini caught the imagination of the crowds. His physique was impressive, his toccata was superb. His attitudes were highly theatrical, his opinions were contradictory, his facts often wrong, and his attacks were frequently malicious and misdirected. Still, his words were so dramatic, his metaphors so apt and striking, his vigorous, repetitive gestures so extraordinarily effective that he rarely failed to impose his mood. Well, you all, I hope this has been as informative to you as it was for me. I guess history really does repeat itself in many ways. This was eye-opening on the history of Italy and its leader, Benito Mussolini. Thank you for listening to another episode of Rotten to the Core. I'm your host, Josh Waters, and I hope the rest of your day is bellissima. Ciao. If you would like to stay up to date on our current episodes of Rotten to the Core or have suggestions for future ones, please follow and like us on Facebook at It's Rotten to the Core, Instagram at It's Rotten to the Core, Twitter at Rotten in History, or just go to itsrottentothecore.com.